Welcome to the New Life Ministries podcast. Imagine you sold your home and bought a new home in a new city. Where would you live, work, and spend your time? While your old city and haunts may draw you because of their comfort and familiarity, remaining there makes no sense and does not help you in building your life in your new home. We can view sin and salvation through the same lens. Even though the lies of Satan may say that if you're tempted, you aren't really saved, but it's just that, a lie. You may be called, but you don't have to obey, and instead can turn to Christ and your relationship with him. Let's join Curtis as we talk about Romans 6. Good morning. Hey, we're going to look at Romans 6 today. Those of you online, those in Pakistan, good morning, welcome, or good evening to you. So we've been walking through the book of Romans, and over the past couple of weeks, thanks mate, uh, we've concluded that we are all under sin. But by the grace of God, through faith in Jesus, we've been justified before God. Not justified because we are good people or because of our good effort or because we obey a law. Just justified because God offers his grace through Jesus. So that leads to a thought. Does that mean we are free to behave however we want? Is there then no right and wrong for us? You know, I'm forgiven. I can do as I please. And this passage is going to word that question by saying, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more his wonderful grace? And then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? That's how this passage words that question. And I think we know that temptation. You know, this little bit of sin doesn't really matter. It won't hurt anybody. Besides, we're forgiven, so we can get away with this. The, the question Paul is answering in this text is not an artificial question. He's likely, he, uh, there are likely people in the church in Rome who have heard this message that we're saved only by grace, and they can only think of one logical consequence. If we're forgiven by grace and not by following the law, Paul is saying we can do whatever we want. Like, that's the only thing that they're hearing. And you can imagine the tension that that would cause in a community if some people are fine doing whatever they want. And we've all encountered people who call themselves Christians but their behavior looks nothing like Jesus. And it's frustrating, and it gives a bad reputation to all of us. So chapter six is gonna ask this question, does grace mean my behavior does not matter? But it's also gonna look at the question, does grace mean I should no longer be tempted by sin? Because it's easy to misread this chapter. And if you misread it, you'll think it's saying, well, I guess I'm not supposed to be tempted by sin, or, if I am tempted by sin, I guess that means I'm not a Christian. And the passage isn't saying that, but it's easy to, to assume that that is what it's saying. It's also asking, how can grace alone actually change my life? So in the answer, Paul is going to draw our attention to our identity, our unity with Jesus. He's going to give us some theology, and then he's going to give us the application of it. That's kind of how this passage works. Make sense? Let me offer a prayer. I didn't look. Make sense? <laughs> I've done that before. Makes sense? No? Okay. <laughs> no one's answering. Let me offer a prayer and then we'll read. Father, Father, would you please bless this time that we would be drawn to see the glory of your grace, the amazement, the amazingness of what Jesus has done for us. And would you also draw us 
to understand how we each need to respond in very specific ways in our life to, uh, to live as you would have us live. May your word speak to us this morning. And I would pray this, that you would be glorified, that you would be made bigger in our eyes. Amen. So Romans 6, and I am reading from the New Living Translation. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since you have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ in baptism, we were joined in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we've been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now he lives and he lives for the glory of God so you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control how you live. Do not give in to its sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be the slave of sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God, once you were slaves to sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I am using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. Previously, you let yourself be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So that's chapter six. Let's go through this because this is a cool passage. 
does receiving God's grace, being justified, being made right, mean when we can keep on sinning? Of course not. So in his logic, he wants us to understand something about what Jesus has done and why that matters to the situation. And we're going to focus on verse 2. We have died to sin. How can we continue to live in it anymore, live in it any longer? And this is where it gets confusing. Because if you think the word sin means bad behavior, this passage will not make sense. If you think sin means my bad behavior, it will sound like, I should never have bad behavior anymore. Instead, he's talking about the realm of sin, the power of sin has when we are under Adam. Since we have died to the realm of sin, why would we continue to live in it? So verse three, have you forgotten that when we were joined with Jesus Christ in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. So he's drawing our attention to dying through our baptism in Christ. So baptism is that action which identifies us with Christ. In baptism, we are immersed in water, and it's a way of declaring that we are followers of Jesus. The word baptism just means to immerse, to submerge in something. If you wanted to be married to somebody and you wanted other people to know that you were married, what would you do? Well, you'd have a wedding, and you'd probably have a ring on your finger. That's how you communicate that you are married. To communicate that you are one with Christ, the act is baptism. It expresses your identity. I am with Jesus. And so Paul points to baptism and reminds us, you joined with Christ, you share his death. So he died for us. Why that matters is it broke the power of sin over us. It broke the condemnation of sin over us. When we sin, the proper penalty is death. But in our union with Christ, he died. The payment's been made. Sin has no more threat. It has no more power. We've been set free from its domain. And so because Jesus went through death and came to life, death's no longer possible. So what's the worst that sin can do? If sin cannot kill because it doesn't have that power anymore, what's the worst that it can do? It's kind of like being sentenced, to do a, uh, being sentenced for a crime and having to do time in jail, and Jesus goes to jail and does the time for you. When he comes out, that sentence has no power anymore because the time's been done. So in the death of Christ, the penalty's been paid. So sin's lost its power. It's lost its strength. It's got no gut anymore. And then in our union with Christ, he was raised to life, so we will too. A life with new purpose, new freedom, a new approach to living. So remember last week, we talked about being in Adam, being under sin, or being in Christ. There's two realms. There's two different kings we can live under. That old realm is sin, and sin condemns. In the new realm, given to us by God's grace, sin over here loses all its power. It, it's not here. 
So if you live in this new realm where sin has no power, why would you continue to sin, which is the old realm? Why would you live there when you live here? It's kind of like if you were married, why would you live as a single person? You're married. So are you going to go clubbing on the weekend and try to hook up? With, no, you're married. Why, why are you living in the other realm? So you might ask, if I live in this new realm, does that mean I will no longer be tempted to sin? And if I am tempted to sin, or at times I do sin, does that mean I'm actually not in this realm? One of the lies Satan loves to use is that if you're tempted, if you sin, it means you're not really saved. And so he's trying to get that condemnation back over you. And so perhaps think of it like this. You live in the new realm, but you can still hear the voice from the old realm. You can still hear that voice calling to you over the wall. You know that voice. It's familiar. You recognize it. But just the fact that you hear its voice doesn't mean you are there. You're here. You ever seen a movie where there's a guy who leaves the mafia or he leaves some organized crime syndicate and he's got a new life and a new job and a new family and he's healthy and strong and he's got a beautiful green yard. And, you know, you've seen the movie. And then one day his old mafia boss finds him and says he's got one final job he has to do. That's kind of the idea. You're living a new life, but the old mafia boss, Satan, has found you. And he's like, I've got one more job for you to do. He's calling to you over the fence, over the wall but you don't have to obey it. So when it says in verse two, you have died to sin, it doesn't mean you've died to temptation. You've died to the realm where sin lives. We've died to sin. How can we continue to live in it any longer? Let your baptism remind you. Let the wedding ring remind you. Let the baptism remind you. You live in the new realm. So verse 11 so also you should consider yourself to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. The verb tense there is a present constant. It means constantly remind yourself that you are part of this new realm. Constantly remind yourself. You live here, not there. How would you remind yourself that you are married? It's kind of a weird question. How would you remind yourself that you are married or remind yourself of your best friend? Well, you may have a ring on your finger. But more likely, you spend time together. You talk together. You play together. You share activities together. You may share a home together. You do things that express your connectedness, right? Like you live a new existence with your mate or your best friend. And it's similar with Jesus. Spend time together in the new realm. Talk with Jesus. Read his word. Talk with other disciples about what they're learning. Serve. Do something where you're working with Jesus on a project. I think part of life's journey is this cycle of learning what does it mean that I live in this new realm. I don't have to respond to things the way I used to respond to them. I don't have to live under guilt and shame and condemnation. And it's amazing what kind of freedom comes when you realize you don't have to compensate for guilt or shame or condemnation. We do all kinds of things trying to compensate for those feelings. And then particular to Paul's question, in this new kingdom, we leave sin behind. So verse 12, do not let sin control the way you live. 
Do not give in to its sinful desires. So here's a thought. He wouldn't have said that if there was no risk of us giving in to sin. If we weren't going to experience temptation, he wouldn't have said this. But the fact that we do experience temptation, we do hear the voice from the other side of the wall, he says, do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. What is it to use your body as an instrument of evil to serve sin? It's a fantastic phrase. To use your body as an instrument of evil to serve sin, to serve the domain of sin, to serve the purposes of Satan. Maybe letting your mouth insult people and causing them to stumble. Don't do that. Using your arms to take from folks what doesn't belong to you. Using your feet to walk into somebody else's business. Using your mind to come to conclusions about people without really knowing the whole story. Using your ears to let somebody gossip about another person. Don't use your body to serve the purposes of the old realm. And then, what is it to use your body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God? Like, that's a great question. What is it to use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God? So in verse 15, Paul's going to answer this question again, but in a different form. The law of God, the Old Testament, the, sorry, the Old, Old Testament commands help us know what is right and what is wrong. But they condemn us because we become aware of how often we do wrong. Now that we're in Jesus, free from those commands, does it mean we're free to do what we want? And imagine Christians from a Jewish background hearing this idea of being free from God's law because of Jesus and just rolling their eyes. Like, can you just imagine them going, you're going to dismiss the law? We'll have anarchy. The law helps us understand what it means to be holy. And so Paul answers it by saying, you're a slave to the one you obey. And in our union with Jesus, in our baptism into Jesus, we're actually slaves to obedience to Jesus, which is why we don't sin. So verse 16, don't you realize you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. The phrase actually is, you can be a slave to obedience. Verse 19, Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living, so you will become holy. Verse 20, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. Which is a great phrase. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You're now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. So Paul is drawing the difference in the two realms, the realm of Adam, the old way under sin, the realm of Jesus, God's grace given to us through Jesus. Who do you want to obey? Where are you going to be slaves? 
And Paul says he uses this slave imagery because of our fallen nature. And that's where the word sarx comes in, that fallen nature. Because he knows we want to find a way where we can be free to do whatever we want and be consequence free. He knows that that's our desire. But he's like, no, there's only two options. The way of Adam, which is the normal way, or the new way under Christ. So interestingly, sometimes the Bible talks about sin like it's a real person. The Bible talks about sin like it's a slave driver, slave master, and not just something we do wrong. Sin is like a bully that takes from us. Sin is like a bully that injures us, and it leads us to do things that we're now ashamed of. Theologian and pastor John Stott writes, Sin uses our body for its own evil purposes, perverting our natural instincts, degrading sleepiness into sloth, hunger into greed, and sexual desire into lust. It's a great quote. Sin uses our body for its own evil purposes, perverting our natural instincts, degrading sleepiness into sloth, hunger into greed, and sexual desire into lust. And in the realm of Jesus, God's grace sets us free. But how does that make us righteous? How does that help us be holy? Because in the realm of Jesus, he's in charge. And so we follow him. And he leads us in ways that make us healthy, that make us good, that make us honoring to God and make us holy. So Paul's trying to correct two mistakes. One is magical spirituality. I'm going to live as I want, and God, if he wants to change something about me, he can do it. Like, it's just going to happen by magic. And the other thing he's trying to correct is, it's all up to me to be really good in this new kingdom. In this new realm, your role is to obey Jesus. It's not magic. You will engage, you will choose to follow Jesus. But it's also not up to you. You just have to follow. And in this text, there's this sense of, you know, the intensity that we pursue, the things that we want, the intensity that we pursue sin, be that as intense, be as intense in your obedience to Jesus. And then there's the struggle with obedience. What happens when we do sin? We'll talk about that next week, chapter seven. One of the tools I use in my practice to be obedient to Jesus is to take time in a day to reflect on the past 24 hours. It's just one of the things I've been doing for decades. I jot down notes. I think about what was my past 24 hours like? What did I say? What did I do? What was I thinking? And, and then I consider, was it from the realm of Satan? Was it from the realm of sin? Sorry, let me get that right. Was it from the realm of sin? Was it the way of Adam? Or is it from the realm of Jesus? Did I listen to the voice from over the wall did, I, did it lead me to obey things that I shouldn't have done? And I write these things down so I learn from them. What are the patterns in me? What are the things that I get tempted to do? And then I also, in this time, think about where did I see Jesus at work? Where did I see God at work in myself or those around me? Because that leads me to be thankful. And thankfulness increases my trust. So that 24-hour reflecting on my behavior is one of my practices to keep me focused on the realm of Jesus, where I have forgiveness, where I'm being made righteous, where I'm being made holy, and where I have free access to the Father. 
So let me summarize where we've been and we'll talk about what's sort of caught our attention. Does being forgiven and justified by God's grace mean we're free to behave however we want, free to sin? Since we have died to sin, the realm of sin, how can we live in it any longer? Our baptism reminds us we are united with Jesus. We've died to the penalty of sin with him. It's over. Jesus paid it. Sin lost its power. And we are now united with him in his new realm. We're not under the realm of Adam. We're in the realm of Jesus. Even if, at times, we can hear the voice of the old realm calling from us over the wall. So therefore, we don't let sin reign in our life. Do not use your body as an instrument of evil to serve sin. Use your body as an instrument of righteousness. What does that mean for you? To use your body as an instrument of righteousness. You can choose to obey sin. Sin is like a slave master, a bully, that will cause you to die. Or you can choose to obey Jesus, and that path will lead you away from sin and make you holy. And again, my practice is to pause and reflect every 24 hours. What realm have I been living in? Because I want to experience the results of being in Jesus' realm rather than the results of being in the realm of Adam. So that's chapter 6 of Romans. What's kind of caught your attention? What is, how has the Holy Spirit been speaking to you through this text? So uh, there were a couple of things that caught my attention this morning. First, when you were talking about you're rescued from slavery and sin, and you were like, in essence, enslaved to obedience to God. And what caught in my brain is you can't be enslaved by two people. Right. You are either sold or you are re-enslaved and you are no longer enslaved to the old master because you were in essence stolen away. Right, because it, when there was slavery, a slave could not be owned by two people. That doesn't, doesn't make work. sense. That's not how that works. Yeah. When That's you good. were captured by a different enslaving group, then these are your new masters. That's how it works. The idea of we were rescued and brought out of that slavery into being enslaved to the mission of God and the being enslaved to obedience, and then constantly having that, trying to be recaptured so you can be brought back into slavery in sin. It, it, was, it just really caught in my brain this morning. That's good. I, I want to pause because there's a, uh, Paul uses the slavery imagery just to teach a point. Mm-hmm. Because we're not actually sl- like... Yeah, I, yeah. It, yeah, there's a point where we can extend the analogy too far and then we've missed the point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I kind of saw a, a tangible example of this this week in a show that my husband and I watch. And there's this lovely lady and she's a housekeeper for this really rich family. She gets married and she quits. And they constantly call her because they have no idea how to manage at all. They have no, they're fundamentally really, really bad at just existing. So she has to come and relight their pilot light in their stove because they don't know how and constantly and this goes on for years and years and years and her husband's like they're stealing your life just hang up the phone just 
change your number, just do anything because they're constantly calling you back. You don't work for them. You're not their servant anymore. Make them leave you alone, but you can't because of that constant call back to the life she had before, the life that was comfortable and that manipulation that we can't survive without you. And so that was, that's what stuck in my brain today. Interesting. I wonder if that's part of the temptation from sin is, is this idea if, if you don't help, they can't survive with it. Like it, it calls to something within us. Like I have to help, I have to manipulate, I have to control, I have to, yeah, interesting. What came uh, to my mind was uh, what, I, what I've heard Finley say, I think last week, essentially, I do what God wants now. I don't do what I want. Just, so that's it. Just very simple. And I've really been reflecting on that and going, I need that reminder. Yeah. Nice. I'm just uh, reminded of our friend Leah. Yeah. Who, you know, was an Olympian. So she trained for the Olympics. And that meant that things had to be a certain way in order for her to be available to that process and to that goal. And so what she ate, you know, what she put into her body, how she slept, when she slept. I really wish she was here to talk to you guys about this because, <laughs> you know, I'm no Olympian. But I know about health and being available to the ways of health. And I think when I hear this passage, what I'm reminded about is that God's call to holiness is a call to our availability to him, ultimately. Are we doing things that make us more available in life or less? So going back to Leah and training for the Olympics, I mean, that was her goal, and she was fully available to all the things that would get her to that goal and not the things that would detract from that goal. When I think of Mary, the mother of Jesus, her availability to God's plan just allowed her to be fully open to the Holy Spirit. There weren't hindrances there to be open to that. And so when I think of my own life, and I think about making God big yeah. or being fully available to the largeness of who he is, you know, I want to get rid of the things that get in the way of my availability to him. Oh, I love it. I wonder if that even goes back to where Barry started us with, don't be afraid, consider the lilies. Just God's provide, like just, he's got the flower. That's great. This is just going back to kind of the first passage you were talking about as how the wages of sin is death and that no, we cannot do whatever we would like to do when we're righteous under God and saved through God's grace. Yeah, just commenting in that, well, first of all, no one owns you. The only person who does own you is God. And through God's ownership, there are certain laws and regulations that everybody has to follow when they're speaking to you or engaging in a relationship with you. And through Jesus Christ's baptism, it's kind of a baptism unto us. So when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we accept the baptism onto each and every one of us. We are also baptized as well in that baptism. And we receive the righteousness that all laws and sanctions have to be followed under God's creation, meaning me, you, and everyone else. 
So God offers us full protection in every fashion, in every place that we go unto him. Beautiful. Thanks. Part of something we were reading this week was the parable that Jesus told about the servant who owed a ridiculous, terrific, huge amount of money to the, I think he was either his employer or whoever, whatever their relationship was, the person who was in charge of his whole entire town, he owed them such an amount of money that really he could never pay it back on the wages that he was making. And the normal thing to do would be to put him in jail, which I don't see how that helps because you certainly can't earn money in jail. But the landlord said, you know what? Okay, I'm going to forgive you that. Like, let, let's just wipe this. We're going to tear up the account. You don't owe. You don't owe anything. And which I'm sure he, would, he said, thank you. But then as he, as he was leaving, it specifically says, Jesus said, as he was leaving, like going out of the building, he f- met up with somebody that owed him a hundred bucks. And he was like really harsh with that person. And when the magistrate found out, he's like, what? Like, I just forgave you $100 million and you're like really hammering on this guy that you owes you a hundred. And I think it feels like Jesus' point was, you don't understand what just happened in here. And I think that's similar to what Paul is saying here. If you say, oh, well, I'll just, I can do, I can keep sinning because it makes God look amazing. It makes him look so forgiving. Like whatever that story you're telling, that circus music that's going on in your head, what it means is you did not understand what happened here. You didn't actually understand being forgiven, even though you say that's what this is all about, is God's ability to forgive. So that's uh, something that uh, even rings in the book of James where it says, like, really, if if I don't see it in your life, I I don't think it's real. Like, there's a, there's, we're allowed to, to use that as a measuring stick, I think. But that idea of you don't understand what's going on here is exactly what Paul is trying to say. Yeah. Like it's not just like this idea that you live in a new realm. That's why I think this passage has so much thick theology at the start. You know, this is what has happened. And now you've got to live this way. Right. Yeah. It's interesting too. You're talking about how do you, what do you, how do you, praise with your with your body or how do you give your body to to acts of righteousness, acts of righteousness. Or, yeah, yeah. it's funny because something that I've, I've found in myself for the last number of months is when I have to go and do something that I'm finding very very scary like cold call um, a business owner to see if they are interested in talking to me about buying vegetables or whatever it, it feels very scary to me so it, to the point where I my brain kind of freezes up and I I don't have words. Like if I had magic words to say that would make this go well, I would say them, but I don't know what those are. And you're so good with So words. I sit in my car and I say, God, I'm voting, I, I'm, I'm trusting and voting with my butt. I'm sitting my butt in the car and, my, and I'm going to that place and I'm gonna do this because that's, it's just like, I'm, I'm trusting you by doing it because I can't even talk about it. My brain is so frozen up. So, so that's what my, have been doing recently with my parts of my body. That's good. That's very good. I didn't want to give examples of, of um, using our body for righteousness because I thought it's a great question just to walk away with. I, you need to think this one for yourself. What is it to use this physical being that we are in for obedience to God, for acts of righteousness? It's a good question. Hey, let me offer a prayer and um, then we'll close with a song. Father, I praise you for this day. I praise you for the beautiful sun and the slightly less hot weather we've had over the past couple days. I thank you for this gathering where we each get to participate in this local church. And yet, Lord, I know that around the world there are gatherings of people who worship you and are wanting to follow you and wanting to 
bring glory to you through their lives. I thank you for this passage in, in Romans and for me even the clarity that it's not about being dead to sin, to the temptation of sin, but being dead to the realm of sin and, the, and that sin has just lost its power because it can't kill anymore. I just think that is so freeing and I want to praise you. Father, for, for the folks here, for all of us, would you um, help us to understand what is the step you would have us take to uh, either commit to Jesus or to express living in the realm of Jesus, how to use this body uh, to serve you, to honor you, rather than to serve the purposes of the old realm. And in this, may we glorify you and see you glorified. Um, I praise you and I thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. Jesus, thank you. We love you. Holy Spirit, thank you for speaking this morning. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. New Life Ministries is located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. You are invited to join our service in person or over Zoom. Please use the Contact Us link to send an email to the church office and request the address or Zoom link. If you would like to use these podcasts as part of your home church or local church gathering, you are free to do so. We do request that you let us know. If there is any other way that we can help you in your ministry, please send us an email.